You've tuned in to Geek Elite Radio. Good luck. The future comes, and now my watch begins. It shall not end until my death. I shall miss no game, withhold no news, report all rumors. I shall wear no jerseys and plead allegiance to no side. I shall live and die on my webpage. I am the word in the darkness. I am the watcher of the TV. I am the megaphone that informs the realms of geek. I pledge my hands and name to the Geek's Watch. For the geeks and all the geeks to come. Yes, we are the Geeks Watch, and with me as always is John Camarana today. How you doing, Mitch? <laughs> Good. Uh, we have, so this is our first episode where we're going to be talking about something other than uh, Game of Thrones. You know, we're going to pick something up, so we want to keep doing this show, you know, throughout the year until Game of Thrones comes back, and we know that Game of Thrones isn't going to come back until, what, late summer next year? So we, <laughs> we're going to have to find a lot of content <laughs> Of which there is plenty. There is plenty in the geek world, so you know we're we'll have a lot to uh, we'll have a lot to cover and a lot a lot of content. Uh, but this week we kind of wanted to talk about something that's uh, really popular uh, and you know getting a lot of great reviews. Uh, Stranger Things, whereas the other thing we're going to talk about is really popular and getting not so great reviews. Suicide Squad. So. Uh, First thing we're going to do is talk about some news. Uh, I have a few stories that I want to talk about. John, if that's okay. Hey, hit it. All right. Um, first thing I want to say was uh, Rachel Taylor, the actress who plays Trish Walker on... Um, oh, man. The name just escaped me. What's Jessica Jones. Je- Jessica Jones. <laughs> Jessica Jones on, on Netflix tweeted out a picture of herself... Uh, Fighting, or not fighting, but like sparring with a, you know, a punching bag. Uh, she plays Hell, she plays, if you're a comic book fan, knows that she's also going to be Hellcat, Patsy Walker. Um, but she said, she, in her tweet, she talked about how uh, it's time to get ready and start training for her role. Uh, now, the big thing is that Jessica Jones is, doesn't start filming until early next year. So her getting ready for the role right now kind of implies that maybe Hellcat will show up in the Defenders as as one of the fighters, which starts filming uh, later this year, or you know, not too not too long from now. How do you feel about the whole Defenders thing, John? Um, I think I've mentioned it before. I'm not a huge fan of the street level characters, you know, that fight in alleys and whatnot. Um, but I like the quality that's coming out of Netflix and Marvel. So I'll watch it. I know it's, it looks like it'll be interesting. And um, I have a lot more interest in that than I do in uh, Ghost Rider coming to Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. <laughs> yeah, and I'm pretty sure it's not even like Johnny Blaze that's supposed to be the Ghost Rider. That, Johnny Blaze or Danny Ketch that's supposed to be showing up in that uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I think it's supposed to be the new one that drives a car instead of a motorcycle. 
So that's what I've heard, yeah. That's going to be interesting, too. Um, which I also thought was funny because they they already had a character named Hellfire in the season in the show last season who in the comic books is supposed to be the like grandson or great grandson of the original Phantom Rider who they've uh like retroactively retconned into being the first Ghost Rider. Uh so that's why he had a ch- he since he was the great grandson he had a chain that he could light on fire which is very iconic for a Ghost Rider. You know, I'm surprised they never worked in the story of Ichabod Crane and, like, the Headless Horseman could have been the first Ghost Rider. You know what? That's that's not a bad idea. I imagine uh, Marvel wouldn't mind throwing that in there somewhere. <laughs> uh, yeah, they actually did that on the Ghostbusters cartoon, if I remember correctly. Did they? Yeah. I know. I mean, I know that they yeah. already have a... Uh, Marvel has a character named uh, Jack-O-Lantern, which is... He's kind of like uh, the Green Goblin but instead of goblin head he has a jack lantern head and which i believe can be removed uh so you know maybe that they might that's why they don't do that because they have the that one character already but it's still a great idea for the headless horseman to to have uh ties to the ghost rider it's a colonial america yeah that'd be kind of <laughs> neat <laughs> uh so there you go Rachel Taylor talking about fighting, or at least uh, get training to fight. Uh, I also wanted to talk about how Simon Kingberg, who has written pretty much all the different, either written or executive produced all the different X-Men movies that Fox has put out, uh, is has gone on in an interview talking about all the delays that Gambit has, the, the movie Gambit. Uh, it doesn't sound like they're going to be shooting anytime soon. So it does. They, he didn't say indefinitely delayed or didn't indefinitely put on hold. But uh, they are just talking about how I guess they they want to get it right, which is you know sounds good, but also sounds like they're having a lot of troubles with it. But I don't know this whole Channing Tatum Gambit idea. How do you feel about that? Um. Well, I just recently read that Channing Tatum is going to be in a Splash remake. He is. Where he's going to play the mermaid. Yep. And at this point, I feel like um, he's becoming a mockery of himself. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I don't know. Like, I I like Channing Tatum. I thought he's cool ever since I first saw him in, like, step up or whatever that first movie I saw him in was I'm like who's this uh lively young chap here you know he's got a bright future ahead of him (laughs) um that being said I don't know like I don't think acting is his strong suit (laughs) I mean he looks good on screen he's got charisma well you know uh, but can't he oh go ahead yeah go ahead Oh, I was just going to say, can he really play a character? You know, uh, you know, yes, he's, I would say that he's definitely one of these actors that's one of the, you know, great to look at kind of actors and a great performer. He's an entertainer. No, don't get me wrong. I mean, the guy uh, knows how to joke around and definitely knows how to dance. And he's gonna he's gonna put seat or he's gonna put people in the seats. 
acting ability, I think he's getting better. I think every role he does, he gets a little bit better. Um, I think the fact that he is on screen shows you that how many people out there actually aren't good actors. Uh, so <laughs> that is one way to look at it. Him wanting to, he really wants to be Gambit, so that's a good thing. Like, if a, if an actor has a passion for the character and talks about how they, you know, they've they've always, especially comic book characters, that they've always read those characters and they've always identified one, that, that makes me feel better, whether or not they're right for it. But, uh, you know, he, he wasn't bad as Duke in the G.I. Joe movies, so I don't, I, I don't have a problem with him being Gambit. Would I like someone else? Yes, definitely. I would love to have someone else be, the, be Gambit. Because Gambit's always been one of my favorite characters, too. But uh, it's it's interesting, I guess, is, is the best way I could put it. Well, it won't be the worst thing ever, so I guess that could be... You know what? And also, inter- interesting thing that's going on right now in the comic books, there's, uh, it's, there's a uh, Gambit Deadpool comic book that's out right now uh yeah the two of them have teamed up or or fighting against each other or whatever have you and i believe in the in the one in the most recent book uh, i didn't read it but i was told this but like uh deadpool even makes fun of gambit the fact that his movie keeps getting pushed postponed (laughs) so (laughs) so there's that whether i mean i can only i could see that maybe they might save gambit until they after they filmed uh, Deadpool 2, and maybe Gambit shows up in Deadpool 2 just uh, as a cameo or whatever uh, to test the audience to see how much they like uh, Channing Tatum as, as Gambit, I, I could see that happening. Well, if they have a, a humorous angle, I suppose that could work. And um, actually, that brings up an interesting point, is that uh, the superhero genre used to be a genre within itself but now thanks to Deadpool you now have like subgenres like uh, comedy for example and it would be kind of cool if we had like a whole range of like you know like a body horror superhero movie well that's kind of uh, what Fantastic Four was it was a body horror superhero uh, movie <laughs> well let me rephrase that but also good oh also good okay well, you yeah, know, yeah, we, like, we also had, well, like, Ant-Man was a heist movie, and uh, yeah. Winter Soldier was a spy movie, so... Oh, yeah, we're definitely getting there. Um, you know, we're, 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 we're entering the throes of, you know, going into the, the subgenres of these, and like you said, yeah, those are good examples. So, if Gambit can kind of pull off something like that, um, I'm not sure if it would be also in the comedy range, but, you know, just something a little different. Um, it would definitely change my mind a lot about what I think of uh, Channing Tatum doing it. You know what I always thought of like <laughs> would be an interesting like Gambit story. Have you do you remember the movie uh, Hard Target with Van Damme, directed by John Woo? Ye- I remember parts of it, but yeah, I'm, I'm kind of spacing on the story. Yeah. Well, just because Van Damme in that kind of plays a, you know, he plays a he's like French Canadian, but he's supposed to be playing a little bit Cajun, and and it's it's set down in New Orleans, so I always thought that would be an interesting like, interesting Gambit story, really, so uh, I would uh, 
I don't know if that's too cheesy or just what, but I just thought that'd be that'd be funny. Um but you know that's that's gambit. So we'll we'll have to see what happens or what develops with that more later. Uh the next little bit of news that it's not really news, but it was interesting that she tweeted it out. Brie Larson, who we know after um San Diego Comic-Con is now going to be playing Carol Danvers Captain Marvel for the Marvel for Marvel Studios or the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I think we talked about that a little bit on this show a couple weeks ago uh, when it was announced. And uh, like I said, I think she's a, she's an incredible actress. I, I you know I can't wait to see her portrayal of the character. Uh, but she tweeted out that she is now uh, into research for her character. And in the picture, she's wearing a hoodie that's in the style of. Carol Danvers' Captain Marvel outfit with the red, gold, and blue. And then she's also reading uh, Captain Marvel comic books. And I had uh, put, put it out there that, you know, if if you knew the character well, what, what storylines that include Carol Danvers uh, would you want Brie Larson to read um, to prepare for being Captain Marvel? Now, uh, personally, I don't... I, I, I mean, I haven't read a lot of Captain Marvel, a lot of Carol Danvers. Um, I know one of the storylines that I liked was in uh, House of M, when she is basically the one human superhero that is uh, loved by all the all the mutants in the new House of M world, where mutants are the, the ruling class instead of humans. So I think that would be a really good storyline for her to read. Even though it takes place in an alternate universe, it still shows her character. Uh, do you happen to know any Captain Marvel stories that you'd like to share, John? No, I'm not really familiar with the character. Um, when they announced that Captain Marvel was going to come into the Marvel Universe, uh, I put it on my list of things to look up. Like, okay, who is Captain Marvel? What's going on with that? And... Um, there was a little bit of confusion at first because I was like, wait, are you talking about Shazam? <laughs> I was like, oh, no, that's a different Captain Marvel. Yeah, which I think that's and, why uh, DC like stopped calling him Captain Marvel. I think they just call him Shazam now just uh, so that people don't get confused. But I'll always have to, I'll, whenever I say the two, I'll have to be like Captain Marvel from Marvel or Captain Marvel from DC. Because I think calling him Shazam is weird because Shazam is the name of the wizard. And I don't know. That's a whole, a whole nother thing. <laughs> yeah. I was like, they should change the name to Carol Danvers to uh, Captain DC. That way they can be chap one. <laughs> uh, I also thought it was weird when they announced that they were going to be doing a Captain Marvel movie that they went, they went straight to Cap- Carol Danvers when, you know, for the first Captain Marvel was, is uh, Marvel from uh, the Kree army. Um, I I understand why they do it. They want to have more female-led superhero movies. And I just really wonder if they're gonna they're in the movie if they'll even talk about the fact that she got her powers from uh, an alien named Marvel. Yeah, I was gonna say like her powers are all like cosmic based, aren't they? Yeah, um, and and she's gone through a lot of different iterations of her powers because you know uh, Rogue, the Rogue that we know now, uh, got her powers from Captain or from. Carol Danvers, uh, at the time named Miss Marvel, uh, she sucked, like, cause Rogue's only power is to, to 
suck the force or power out of a, another person. And when she held on to Miss Marvel for a very long time, she took all of her powers. So that's where Rogue gets her flight and and uh, super strength from. And they put Carol Danvers into a coma. And then after that, she came out of it. She got her powers restored, and she also has she also has like a an energy uh, beam kind of power that she rarely uses, but she she does have it. And she's been through different names like Binary and Warbird and uh, all kinds of different things. So uh, we'll have to see if they throw any of that in. If they throw all that in, that'd be an interesting storyline, I think. But. Uh, once again, I think you know Brie Larson's a great actress, so we'll we'll have to see who. I mean, it's not it's not the first person that I thought should play the play the role. Don't get me wrong; I thought she went went to Katie Sackoff, but uh, they decided not to do that. They went with Brie Larson. Oh, yeah, I'm I'm not dissatisfied with their choice, so it works for me. Now I've been uh, sharing some news. Uh, I know that you had a little bit of news that uh, will segue into our first topic for this week. That's right. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, Stranger Things was a runaway success, apparently. Now, Netflix doesn't release metrics for how much something is watched. They don't really have a system in place um, similar to, like, let's say, uh, the uh, the point system that they use for cable TV. I think, I think it's the Nielsen rating or something like that. Right, yeah, the Nielsen ratings. Yeah, so they don't really have they, they don't release stats on how much something is watched, but they have gone and said that Stranger Things has become very successful. Um, it's had a lot of streaming, I suppose, is uh, the way you could uh, state it. And uh, so the the CEO or a big boss of Netflix was asked recently by the press, uh, "What's going to happen? Is there going to be a season two? And he pretty much just stated it would be dumb not to do a season two. Pretty much a direct quote. Um, yeah, at this so point, that's I would good have, news. Yeah, as I say, at this point, I would have to agree. I mean, it'd be it'd be dumb not to to throw out a second season. And it, I mean, yeah, they don't have the traditional Nielsen ratings, but I imagine they have to know how many times something is clicked on their website, like you know, however. But. Uh, I mean, we're in an era where Netflix, pretty much anything that they put out as original content has been super successful. And I think that's just incredible because, uh, you know, TV show or TV networks have been doing this for how long, you know, coming up with new shows and stuff and, and how many of them actually hit and how many of them are, are misses. But just about everything Netflix has put. I don't. Even, I, I mean, I really haven't heard of anything that that hasn't been a real big hit. Uh, but then again, they have so much original content or, that I wouldn't know if they did or not. If it did or not. But uh, Stranger Things is definitely one of the ones that have been that's been uh, a runaway hit. Oh yeah, like right from the get go. One of those that was meant for binge watching episode leads directly to the next one. Yeah, exactly. And you don't have to wait a week to see what happens. And you know, it definitely I plays. Kind of wishes Game of Thrones. You kind of, yeah, I kind of wish Game of Thrones was like that too. Uh, you know, you kind of, yeah. you kind of, you have to, um, uh, you have to uh, praise them because they're hitting the nostalgia factor that is super rampant and popular right now 
uh, between 2015 and 2016 with, you know, hey, do you remember the 80s? Because this is the 80s, and that's definitely what Stranger Things has done. But it also has a great story. So that's, you know, that's the the whole nostalgia part is just icing, I, I would have to say. Oh, yeah, yeah. They're, they're doing everything right, which is, like, hard to do in these days of, you know, taking the easy way out or just cashing in simply on one little gimmick like the nostalgia factor. Um, I got to admit, like, I was hooked from the first episode uh, opening credits, just the, the way the 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 words looked on the screen with that synth score <laughs> and then what really finally sold me and told me yes these are my people is um in the first episode one of the first scenes is one of the characters is trying to watch night rider on an old tv set with like these rickety bunny ears antennas <laughs> and i'm like sold that's that was my childhood i remember doing that and that was one of my favorite shows also. I'm, I'm, yeah, take my money. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, I, I think I was sold in the, I think it's, it must be the very first scene of the first episode where they're playing D&D down in the basement. And it's just like, uh, to me, that was one of my favorite pastimes. I, I didn't play it back in the 80s. I think I played it a little bit, it was in the 90s when I was, when I started playing, but uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, a great thing. And it just shows, you know, that the, they're doing their research. And the funny thing about that, the Duffer brothers have come out and said that they didn't play D and D when they were kids, they played magic and they wanted the scene to be magic. But since they set this movie back so far in a time, time period that they couldn't play because magic hadn't been created yet. Oh, they could have made it so that these kids were like the the creators. unofficial creators of the <laughs> <laughs> they had their own thing but yeah man these duffer brothers whoever they are i mean they have like if it feels like they went into my brain scooped out all like these old memories i have and whipped them into something awesome because it's all there man like i as a child of the 80s no, i was born in 1980 so i can remember you know quite a bit actually from like 84 onwards i'm like yep it 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 looks and feels like i remember when i was a little kid (laughs) well and that's what we're talking about uh first this this week we're talking about stranger things now i've watched the whole season and i believe john you said you've only watched up to episode seven so you have seven and eight to, to still watch so we'll probably only talk about episodes one through four this week and one through four or five through eight next week. Uh, so for anybody that hasn't watched it yet, there's definitely going to be spoilers. So you might want to uh, turn turn the podcast off right now. Go watch, watch one through four and then come back. But the first four chapters. So chapter one. Uh, we went over. We, we were talking about this a little bit earlier. Um, the four chapters there, they all have interesting cha- chapter names. We got chapter one, the vanishing of Will Byers. Chapter two, the weirder on Maple Street. Chapter three, Holly Jolly, and chapter four, the body. Now, uh, the show obviously has a lot of homage to Stephen King, and I and it definitely has a look of Steven Spielberg. At least that's how I feel. Um, oh yeah. 
so I would think that, uh, and and uh, and we were talking about this part, particular chapter four, the body, which I believe was the title of the short story that Stand by Me, which is also written by Stephen King, was based was was called. So, uh, what were some of the? I mean, what are the, some of the other significance? Do you think that the chapter names have? Well, as far as uh, the the first chapter, I can't quite place it yet. Uh, I'm not super versed with Stephen King, even though I am a fan of his work. Well, he has um, so many one, he has so many bodies oh, yeah. of work that it's you know you can't possibly have read all of them. I don't think. Uh, I mean, I, I assume there are people out there that have read everything, but it's it's got to be a lot. Yeah, I don't even know how he writes so much so fast. Like he's got to have ghostwriters that he pays to just slap his name on his work or something. <laughs> it's yeah. It's it's intense, but um yeah. So the vanishing of Will Byers doesn't bring up anything right away, but Weirdo on Maple Street, which is uh, chapter two, uh, reminds me a lot of the monsters are due on Maple Street, which is a short story from like the fifties or sixties, and that's the one where it's like a a parable of um, anti-communist paranoia. Um, I believe like the power goes out in a neighborhood and then the neighbors eventually start kind of pointing fingers, blaming each other. And cause a, a mysterious flash of light appeared in the sky. And, uh, the gist of that one was that it was actually aliens, but they were just observing how quickly humans turn on each other when, you know, something goes wrong, um, which is kind of a pessimistic view of humanity, but not entirely inaccurate. <laughs> No, no, definitely not inaccurate. And then doesn't uh, one of the neighbors end up killing another neighbor at the end of that? I think so. Yeah, it, it all basically erupts into like a huge, like, brawl. I think, and people start looting each other, and yeah, the beatings happen or something like that. Um, so, but the reference to this one is that they find the the mysterious little girl. And I will get to more on that as we break down the episodes. Um, Holly Jolly, not really sure what that's a reference to. Um, up in within the episode, it's a reference to like the Christmas lights, I believe, uh, but not really sure where else that comes from. And as you said earlier, the body, chapter four, uh, seems to be a, a direct real, uh, homage to the story that Stand by Me was based on. Yeah. That... So far, those are the ones I found. Uh, I'm sure I'll get more once I finish the series and I, I look it up and say, "Hey, what are the uh, homages in the sh- in the series?" And I'm like, "Oh, right, yeah, that one." Yeah. Well, yeah, we'll definitely have more uh, things like that next week. So, in the first episode, we're talking about you know the like we said they I, they they start off by the the four boys are playing D and D down in the basement and uh, you know. <laughs> What's his? Uh, I can't remember what the the kid with the curly hair's name is right now, but he's he constantly is just yelling, you know, don't let it be the demigorgon, don't let it be the demigorgon. Boom! <laughs> he just throws the demigorgon out there, and uh, you know, it's it, it's. I think it's just funny because the 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 way these kids react and, and and play the game is is the way that you you would hope that every game that you ever played went. Uh, uh, but then you know. Will is then riding his bike home and as he gets closer to his home, that's when he notices that, you know, things are not the way they're supposed to be. And, 
he runs into his he runs into his house as he's being chased by the the creature and you know the the thing I, this is when you first get it's it's the idea that it's it's kind of traveling I don't know if it's if it's it's teleportation, shadow walking, kind of. Uh, you know, the, it's just, you just know that it's it's like every slasher film that you've ever watched. It, it happens to be wherever that you're trying to get to. Yeah, it looks like. Um, well, the the show begins actually with uh, a sequence inside a lab, isn't it? Where a scientist is like actually running away from something. Oh yeah, yeah. The, the kids, I think, is the next scene after that. But yeah, so you begin the series with um, like a darkened lab, looks like it's underground, and the scientist is running for his life. You know, he's he's trying to get in an elevator. You can hear something kind of coming or chasing him. He's panicked. The elevator opens. He climbs in. He thinks he's safe. Then he hears growling coming from right above him. He looks up, and then. Something pulls him up out of frame, and that's it. That's all we see for the intro. Um, so, yeah, then we go to the scene where the kids are playing D&D. They go home, and uh, Will, as you were saying, uh, gets home, and nothing is quite right. Uh, you know, it's dark, it's empty, there's no one around. And uh, he hears, uh, I guess he also hears the growling or he hears some kind of noise and it scares him. So he runs out into uh, what I think is a shed. Yeah, which, you know, to me, that whole kind of scene <laughs> really reminds me of, like, E.T. the Extraterrestrial. Obviously, in a more uh, dangerous uh, sense, because this thing is out there to kill him instead of be his friend but yeah you know it's it's elliot finding the baseball in the backyard and going into the shed and finding uh et inside the shed but instead this is will Byers running for his life yeah yeah and, and i think the kids playing D D is also kind of an homage to et wasn't that what they were doing in the uh, et when we were waiting for pizza or something I you I really have no idea because I don't I don't remember that movie all that well I didn't I never really liked it. Yeah, really? Yeah, really. I I don't know. It's just oh, wow. it's a thing about me. A lot of people don't you know are, are different, but I just never really liked ET. Wow, I learn <laughs> something new every day. Um, well, I mean, to each his own, I suppose. But uh, yeah, like there's definitely a strong Spielberg vibe in the in the show, uh, as well as like a like unholy allegiance with Stephen King material as well, and um, in a way, I kind of feel like this movie is what Super Eight should have been, but kind of missed the mark a little bit. True. I mean, that's the I, I definitely got that feel. I mean, and I think that's what you're supposed to get that feel because both Super Eight and this are supposed to have Stephen King esque feels, or Stephen yeah. Spielberg esque feels. I'm sorry. Well, both. They both the power of both Stevens should be in this. <laughs> uh, a little bit scary, a little bit like also like wow, I guess. Yeah, or, grandiose. Yeah. So, yeah, Lucas goes or not Lucas. Uh, Will goes missing. Lucas was the the other kid, and um, Winona Ryder playing the mom of Will and Jonathan Byers, the two brothers. Uh, does an incredible job playing a frazzled, crazy, 
worried mother. True. She, uh, yeah, she, <laughs> somebody says that every scene she's in, she just chews up the scenery, and I'm like, kind of, but uh, I do know some mothers that would go like that, so. Well, yeah, really if your child was reaching. Or, yeah, maybe it's just really accurate portrayal. I don't think she's a mom in real life, is she? I have no idea, actually. I've never really followed that closely with celebrity life, so I don't remember ever hearing of her having kids. But who knows? Maybe she does. Maybe she doesn't. <laughs> um, anywho. So, yeah, then you get uh, an introduction to all the different characters. You find out that the the four boys, who are now three, are really into like their AV club in their school. Uh, they work with like ham radios and you know they they like technology and basically these all, these kids are all the outcasts they get bullied so again one of those things that just kind of strikes close to home yes they are the and, quintessential nerds yeah <laughs> except my school didn't have an AB club unfortunately yeah so. I don't think my school did either <laughs> and. Um, Let's see. You also get introduced to the character of Eleven, who is this um, short-haired, like pretty much buzz-cut girl in a like medical gown kind of thing. Like she looks like she just escaped from a either hospital or mental asylum, and she sneaks into a, a diner and starts stealing food. Then you have uh, the the shop owner. It's like, hey, you know, you little thief, get back here. But then he takes pity on her and actually feeds her. At which point he also calls uh, child services and says, hey, there's the kid here. And uh, not really saying much. Can you guys come and do something about it? So, you know, he goes from trying to chase the kid who was stealing to actually kind of caring because it looks like the kid needs help. And then uh, we also meet... Uh, one of the kids' older sister, uh, I forget that guy's name right off the top of my head. Um, but, you know, Mike? if there's one thing we should learn from Mike, yes, thank you. If there's one thing we should learn is that teenagers from whatever era or decade you're in, they're pretty much garbage. <laughs> yeah. Yes, they, teenagers they are want, terrible. Yeah. They all want the same thing, and nothing's ever going to change. So whenever somebody says, back in my day, I was like, no, shut up. It was the same thing. Yeah. We just have more technology now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, the older sister you know, is, is being very hormonal, wants to go party. And um, she's actually kind of a nerd herself. Yeah, she's very much wanting to do her tests, do her exams, study for everything so that she can get into a good college. And it, it's kind of implied that she's never really been one of the popular kids either. She's always just kind of been a nerd on the side. It just happens to be that Steve, one of the popular kids in school, has now taken an interest to him, or interest to her. So uh, even her friend, who starts, you know, uh, starts in on her, is like, oh... Now you're going out with Steve. You're gonna you're gonna you know hang out with them. You're gonna hang out with the cool kids. You're gonna forget all about me. And and she's like, no, 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 of course not. But 
<laughs> but really, yes. But really, yes. Yeah. All right, so uh, with Will disappearing, that sets the story in motion, and every character that's uh, you know being shown to us is kind of following the same story, but from their own perspective. You know, you got the sheriff that's kind of looking for him as well. Uh, the sister whose friend also gets kidnapped by the monster. The boys trying to figure out what's going on. Um, with the help of the strange little girl named Eleven that they find. And um, kind of sets off the whole plot. You know, the mom is um, looking like she's going crazier and crazier because she's getting communication with her son, but through, like, Christmas lights. Um yeah, we really can't do it justice to summarize it. It really is a show you have to experience on the episodic level. So, um, what say you, Mitch? I also think that one of the you know one of the great characters of the show. Uh, I don't know if he's intended to be the the main character or not, but uh, Sheriff Hopper. You know, he's uh, shown as this you know very rundown police or sheriff of the of this town, and he's obviously got a lot of history and he's got a lot of backstory that we get little glimpses of until the very uh, towards the, until the very end when you get a little bit more but you know he's obviously he, i don't know you want him to be like you think that he's going to be played by he's going to be played like this like a lot of the 80s uh small town sheriffs where he doesn't know anything and he, he's he's hard uh, he he doesn't he doesn't get the job done but i think more often than not, he shows that he's competent and he knows, you know, he's able to put things together and, and, uh, definitely is, is, uh, a, a kind of a hero, but like a tragic hero, I guess would be the best way to put it, uh, of the storyline. And, uh, yeah, he's got the instincts of a bloodhound, man. <laughs> Very much so. And even when they're, you know, they're having that search party for Will where everybody's walking through the woods talking about, uh, you know, they're all yelling for Will and stuff. And, and one of the deputies comes up to him and says, you know, uh, something about his daughter. And he's like, oh, my daughter's in, you know, in the, in the city with it, with her mom, they moved away. And then the other guy comes up to him and says, no, his, his daughter died. I think he was talking to the teacher. I don't know. I'm not sure. But, yeah, his daughter died a few years back. And and you see where a lot of his turmoil comes from for having a dead daughter and stuff. Oh, yeah. It's got a lot of baggage. <laughs> so, you know, another another child missing really speaks to him. And maybe that's what maybe that that's what it is in this, this storyline. Because he even talks about how, you know... Uh, how how long because there's a suicide the when the when they kill that the guy who owns that lunch counter or whatever the diner um the the laboratory people kill him they make it look like a suicide and he and he talks about it later he's like do you know how many suicide or you know when the last suicide was in this town and he talks about like 1940 or something like that and he says and this week we have a, a missing child and a suicide in the same week you know what i came in this town supposed to not have any any anything any problems or complications and now we have these two things happening in the same week which is you know is interesting it, it talks to a lot about his character yeah it's uh there's a lot of uh, history there with him like you were saying there there seems like there's connections with other characters that haven't been revealed yet at least not up to this point in this in the show and um er, i mean besides the sheriff everybody seems to really kind of 
be really good at figuring things out. <laughs> like, I don't know if that's a, 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 a... At one point, I did notice it was kind of jarring, and I was like, whoa, those kids came up with the exact theory of what's happening, and all they did was talk to their science teacher. You know? <laughs> I was like, all of a sudden, now they know about alternate dimensions, and the, the, you have to get to them, and I'm like, dang, like, I mean, are they doing this just because it's a show, and you only have so much time or are these kids really that smart? Cause I don't think I ever would have figured that out on my own without some kind of Wikipedia heavy, uh, researching and somebody kind of pointing me in the right way. Well, I have to also say that that middle school science teacher is very knowledgeable about a lot of things too, for things that, you know, probably aren't going to come up in everyday science class. Uh, I don't know if you've gotten to the episode yet, but he talks about how you, you how you would make a uh, sensory deprivation chamber. Uh, he obviously tells them t- or tells them about uh, the alternate dimensions and stuff like that, and how you would need how what well, you would need like a massive uh, amount of energy to do such a thing, and it's just like you know this guy just knows a lot of things for some reason. <laughs> Yeah, and then when the little curly-haired kid, I think his name was Dustin. Dustin, yeah. He's the one that he's the one that figures out you can use compasses to track like any deviations in gravity. I'm like, "What?" <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> like you would need like some crazy like spectrometer equipment or something to to do that kind of thing. And this guy's like, "Oh, wait, no, magnets because of the the the, on the compass, they'll point to north, but if there's a stronger magnetic pull, they'll go to that instead. And what did the teacher say? That a portal would open up or like would create oh. gravitational things. Or I'm like, <laughs> dude, come on, man. Don't make me look bad here. Uh, well, you know, it was also funny is that when Lucas is, is looking for the, the portal on his own, uh, you know, he has his compass strapped right to his radio. And I'm like, wouldn't there be a, like a pretty strong electromagnetic electromagnet inside of that radio just you know for the speaker alone wouldn't that be throwing off your your compass but i don't know maybe i'm wrong yeah well maybe the uh the portal magnet would be stronger i guess (laughs) and um we did touch up on this a little bit in the pre-talk uh here the warm-up i guess um but i also wanted to mention that stranger things as a story works so much better as a silent hill story than any of the Silent Hill movies. Because <laughs> you have all of the same elements, except for the, the cult aspect of it, um, which honestly I could be, I, it, you don't even really need in the story. Um, but yeah, you have all of the same elements. Um, also, I should note that Silent Hill and Half-Life were both indirectly inspired by Stephen King, um, specifically by the story The Mist. Oh, um, yeah, The Mist, if you remember the movie or the short story, it has to do with um, a military installation in a small town that somehow opened a portal to a different dimension or a different reality, which led, like, it, it basically released all of the mist into the, the town. And all of these strange kind of Lovecraftian creatures, you know, that don't operate on the same, uh, you know, physics or biology of, of the ones in our world. Um, Half-Life is kind of based on that a little bit by taking place within a scientific research facility that opens up a portal to another dimension and it lets all this bad stuff out. 
And Silent Hill, although it takes a more supernatural turn, also is heavily inspired by by uh, by the works of Stephen King, uh, right down to the fact that some of the streets in the town are named after famous authors. Two of them are by Stephen King. Uh, one was like King Street, and the other one was Bachman Street. Bachman being uh, the pen name that King had before he used his real name. Is that and, the name uh, that he I writes believe... things like uh, the Green Mile and Stand By Me under? Um, it was a lot of his earlier work. I'm not sure which ones. Um, I don't think it was his more recent work. It was more like when he was getting started in the 70s, I think. Uh-huh. Like a lot of his short stories before Carrie were under Bachman, Richard Bachman, I believe. And... Um, yeah, so it feels like this uh, Stranger Things is kind of like the ultimate adaptation between like Half-Life and Silent Hill, which were both, like I said, inspired by Stephen King's work. And that you have, you know, uh, a really strange Lovecraftian-looking creature with no face that can split his face into four different parts, which is exactly how the very first monster in uh, Silent Hill attacks you. Its uh, its face can split into four different sections. It's basically just one big mouth. Um, then you have the fact that it also there's also a an alternate reality that mirrors our own, except it's empty and corroded. And uh, that's exactly what happens in this one too. Whenever anyone's pulled into the other world by the creature, it looks just like that. It's like you're still in your home, but it's you know. There's not mist, but there's like ash flowing everywhere. Like it looks like snowflakes, kind of, and um, it looks really neat. And in my own head canon, I want to believe that this town is like next door to Silent Hill. <laughs> well, that was uh, you know that was unfortunate for them to be so close to Silent Hill. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well you know that's uh, you know a lot of what we're going to talk about for this week for the, for Stranger Things. Oh, one thing I do want to throw in there is that in the beginning when the kids are racing their 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 bicycles and he says uh, I'll I'll race you and if I win I get the X-Men I think it's 134 or something like that which is a direct reference to uh the to the Phoenix in you know uh Jean Grey the Phoenix which is very interesting because it's kind of similar to what 11 has for powers so uh I thought that was interesting well, now that you mention it, yeah, there's actually a lot of references to comic books in there. And I, one of my favorites was, um, do you think she was born with the powers, like, and then they mention, like, uh, an X-Man or something? Right. Or did she did she get them later, like Green Lantern? <laughs> I was like, that's an interesting one to jump to, you know? <laughs> and then they constantly refer to it as being Yoda, which I thought was interesting, too. And Professor X as well, yeah. <laughs> she could move things with your mind, man. That's cool. <laughs> um, which, again, is also Shades of Carrie. And also the experiments that they were doing on her mother, similar to uh, what happened in Firestarter. So this is like one huge love letter to Stephen King. <laughs> These Duffer brothers are doing it right, though. This is very true. So, talking about comic books, that's what we're going to get into. Our second topic for this week is uh, Suicide Squad, and I know we both got a chance to go see that this week. Uh, first off, how just without you know talking about the movie at all, but what did, what did you think of the movie? I liked it. Generally, um, it, I thought it was entertaining. I liked the look of it. 
Uh, I really like the portrayal of some of the characters, <laughs> and um, the you know the story could have been a little bit more fine tuned, and we can get into that later. But uh, overall, I have to say it was very positive. It doesn't deserve the the rotten tomato score that it currently has. I think. And I think people just kind of went in with a lot of bad faith due to the the previous entry in the DC universe. Yeah, uh, I mean, one thing is everybody should know is that I I never give any credence to what Rotten Tomato says. Um, I, it, I mean, it, you can use it as a reference guide, but never take it for you know face value. However, I, I have to say I didn't think it was a good movie. I didn't hate it though. Which I hated Batman v Superman, so I didn't hate this as a is a step in the right direction for DC movies. Um, it's a very low bar. It's it's a very low bar, and and that's how I felt. I went into this movie with super low expectations, especially since since last year, since Comic Con of last year, uh, I think we've seen just about this whole movie in either previews or TV TV spots or. Uh, you know, footage that they put out online, stuff like that. I mean, there's really almost nothing left when you actually go watch this movie that we haven't already seen, uh, to me. Um, so when going into it, I had super low expectations and, you know, it, it, it was able to step over that bar. <laughs> yeah. Um, you definitely pretty much have seen all of the Joker's performance if you've seen the trailers and some of the TV spots because he's not in it for that much. Oh no, definitely not. Yeah, I was and, actually um, surprised at how much how much Batman is in the movie. Oh yeah, not only that, the Flash, the Flash is in this movie. <laughs> yeah, which you know I kind of felt bad because. I happened to read an article the day I went to go see it. So before I went and saw it, I, I read an article about how they were talking about the one scene that Zack Snyder filmed for the movie. And I was like, oh, he filmed something for the movie. And then it says, oh, the, the Flash shows up at the beginning of the movie. And that's the scene that Zack Snyder uh, directed. And I was like, oh, so the Flash is in the movie. Thanks. <laughs> you know, I didn't really want to know that since I hadn't seen it yet, but... Uh, I guess I know that now. But then you know, you go and watch the movie, and the scene is literally, I don't know, three seconds long? <laughs> yeah, not much. Yeah, it's um, And it's kind of a goofy scene, too, because it's with uh, Captain Boomerang. So um, the way that Jai Courtney... And that's a side, uh, on a side note, I think Jai Courtney is a terrible actor, and I think they keep trying to shove him into things the way they do certain actors every now and then where you're like, why is this person getting work in this big budget stuff? And, um, well, I have to disagree with you. I think he's a, he's a pretty good actor. I think, I think that he is, uh, exactly what Hollywood, Hollywood wants for a leading man or, you know, at least a supporting leading man. Uh, but like, I think that he keeps meeting, putting into things, but, it's for good reason. I liked him in Terminator Genesis. I liked him as Captain Boomerang. I, I don't think that he's as terrible actor as everybody makes him out to be. Now, it's interesting that the two of us disagree on this one topic. Well, I liked him in this one. That's where I was going to go with that. Oh. Uh, yeah, I thought his portrayal of Captain Boomerang was exactly what it needed to be. Now, I don't know much about the Suicide Squad comic, so let's put that out there right now. Like, I'm not super versed in... Um, the histories of all the different characters, probably the ones I know the most about would be Joker and Harley Quinn, and that's because they've just been such a part of pop culture 
up right. until now. And I mean, and I've heard of the others. I've seen them in other things like Killer Croc, uh, you know, Deadshot being in uh, Arrow, and also like in a few other things. Um, that being said, so like I had no real investment in a lot of these different characters, so I had no idea if Jai Courtney was doing justice to Captain Boomerang or not. I know it was a different portrayal than the one in Arrow. Um, but then again, so it was pretty much everything else because they're not really, you know, they're, they're two completely separate universes at this point. Um, that being said, I liked it. I thought he was very entertaining. He, as, as far as comic relief, he was really good. I, I liked pretty much every scene he was in, um, except for that first one, basically, where they're introducing to you to his character. Um, and I don't know if that's because it just kind of felt like, you know, the, the the tone was really different. Maybe it was what we talked about earlier where the editing was a little too jarring and the musical choices didn't really combine with each other well. And then, yeah, you see the flash for like literally three seconds. He has like one line and that's it. Yeah. And I'm like, whoa, they could have done so much more with this. <laughs> So uh I just just so you know that if you wanted if you wanted to know anything about the the comic book character his comic book character is a lot more like that first scene than he is like how he is in the rest of the movie. Uh he is he's more methodical and you know ruthless like he is in that bank or that jewelry robbing scene or whatever that place was supposed to be. It was like diamonds. Yeah, he was stealing diamonds but um in the rest of the movie, he's ob- it's in which is I thought was interesting because it's also written by David Ayers as as well as directed. So he is thrown in there as the comic relief. He's uh, you know he's a little insane. He's a little kooky kind of thing. You know, drinking his beer all the time. That's not yeah. like his character in the comic books. However, I did I did enjoy his character in this movie. Yeah, yeah, I thought it was pretty cool. Um... And you, what you were saying movie, earlier about the the editing, I think that's uh, what I hear most common as the one of the things that's wrong with this movie is that it's very, it's very jarring the way that the scenes are are thrown together and put together. Like uh, I know a friend of mine said that um, the it seemed like the trailers were cut better than this movie was cut. <laughs> yeah, really, they have better flow. Um, and yeah, like I didn't like how. Well, one thing I did like was the intro when they're showing you the different characters and you have like a little splash page with like their stats and their likes and dislikes. I thought that was kind of a neat little touch. But um, they didn't do it for every character. They only do it for like uh, Deadshot, Harley Quinn, and um, Captain Boomerang, I think. Oh, and uh, Enchantress. But those four are not really the sole focus of the movie. You know, you also have all these others who then feel kind of tacked on, um, especially a character like Katana, who literally comes in at like halfway through the movie and is like, oh yeah, she's going to be with us too, by the way. I'm like, okay. And then they just show you like a quick scene of her killing a couple of like Yakuza or something just to show you how badass she can be, I guess. But it just, it really felt forced. And then you get Slipknot, who I don't even know as a character. <laughs> He's in it for like two minutes. They introduce him. He punches a chick out, which I thought was kind of badass. And then, um, <laughs> then he dies. You know, like I was like, whoa. Well, okay, so 
<laughs> well, that's just the thing is like you know, any, anytime you do a Suicide Squad movie, especially it's the it's supposed to be the first or Suicide Squad story, especially if it's the first issue in a Suicide Squad story, you have to you have to show the consequences of of not doing what you're supposed to do, and most often than not in Suicide Squad, it's it's you're gonna your head gets blown off. So you there's always the one member that has to try and run or or does something that they're not supposed to do, and they get their head blown off and. Unfortunately, it was in this movie it was Slipknot, which I really thought was terrible for Adam Beach, the actor, who was in his own right a very good actor. He's 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 a really good actor. So yeah, yeah he shows up uh, at the at the uh, the the base, and then all of a sudden they're on the the mission, and then uh, and and even uh, Flag has ADR like dialogue that says. There's Slipknot, the guy who can climb anything. Like it's literally yeah. just, you know, we we filmed this part uh, as an afterthought just so people had a little bit more to him. And he starts to climb, he starts to climb a building, and all of a sudden, boom, his head blows up. And so it's like, oh, well, okay, now we know that their heads can blow up if they do something bad. And yeah, <laughs> from a story perspective, that makes sense. But as as an audience, you're like, okay, so. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's the and that's why I, I was getting to is that they they literally didn't put any effort into giving him a story or making us care about his character. So, what do we care if his head blows up? It it makes no difference to us. Yeah, he's literally a red that... shirt. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Good. They should have had him wearing a red shirt in the movie just for the joke. Yeah. Uh, but it was interesting because I did see an article uh, earlier today where it talked about Adam Beach saying that uh, in his backstory, which they filmed, I think, either they filmed or it was at least storyboarded, uh, he's supposed to be captured by Wonder Woman and then thrown into jail. You know how you see everybody else get either captured by Batman or The Flash. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So he was supposed to have a scene cool. with Wonder Woman where he's choking her out. See, I would have liked that. I would have liked that they showed more, um, more of the Justice League. Maybe have a like if they didn't have Captain Boomerang caught by the Flash, he could have been surfing in Australia, and then um, you know Aquaman, you know, grabs his surfboard and makes him fall off, and that's how he gets caught or something. You know, he's trying to pull a Point Break or something. <laughs> it's just just something to include a, a, a little more because I, I I think they had Batman too much in this movie. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, it kind of it it it, it, it kind of focuses on the the fact that Batman kind of created this group just by capturing these guys, you know. So it, it, it yeah, I think Batman was used a little bit too much. But then again, you know, that's Batman is a popular character, especially in movies. He's He's always been the the go to, and his Batman movies always do well. I can't say always do well. The, you know, Batman and Robin and Batman Forever didn't do well, but uh, coming off of uh, Batman v Superman, Batman was obviously the more popular character in that movie. Oh yeah, that was arguably the best part of it. Now that brings me to another point: is that um, I I remember reading shortly after that um, Jared Leto claimed that they cut out at least 10 minutes of his performance from the movie meaning that he was a little upset that you know he wasn't in as much as he thought they were because they shot a lot with his character now i know we've talked about it before 
and uh, I still haven't been able to force myself to sit down and watch the extended edition of Batman v Superman. Um, just because I don't like, I don't want to go through that again, kind of. <laughs> um, but this is a movie I would watch a director's cut or extended edition because I do remember hearing, um, in the wake of Batman v Superman not doing so great and you know critics kind of slamming it, that there was extensive reshoots to change the tone of the film to something a little more funny. Um, and uh, I was reading an article saying that they actually screened two different versions, you know, to see which one would play better. One was David Ayer's vision, which was more bleak. And one was uh, this newer version, which is the one I think we got that was a little funnier or sillier in parts in order to make it, you know, I guess more palatable. To make it more and, like Deadpool? Uh, I guess, yeah. <laughs> it has like not quite fourth wall breaking, but, you know, definitely some humor in parts. And uh, I uh, I wouldn't mind seeing a director's cut of Suicide Squad just to kind of see what more could have been done or what could have been different because uh, I liked it enough where I would see it again and uh, didn't think it was terrible. So I wouldn't mind it. However, I also did want to mention that uh, since we were saying the trailer or the trailers looked like they were edited better than the movie, there was a lot of stuff I know I remember from trailers that isn't in the movie. Oh yeah, there's definitely a lot of stuff that's in the trailers that's not in the movie, and that's I, I guess that's I I I have to say I did watch the ultimate edition of Batman v Superman, and I was just as upset with that as I was with the original. <laughs> um, I I don't think that it everybody's you know not everybody but you know the big the loudest voice on on the internet is saying that oh the you know. The Ultimate Edition makes the movie so much better. You get to know so much more about the, these other characters. And I was like, no, we don't. The only person that you know ex- explained a little bit more in the Ultimate Edition is probably Lex Luthor. His plan is a little bit more uh, sussed out than it was in the movie. But it's still a, sh- a shit movie. <laughs> but uh, the, the thing about the if they did an, uh, an extended cut or a director's cut of of uh suicide squad i'd want to watch that just because i'd want to see if it actually flows better like like we were talking about because yeah the, there's a lot of it just seems like the movie just kind of uh does a lot of jumps and 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 cuts that are unnecessary and then to me the the jokes uh when especially the the ones that are dialogue based are given to the wrong characters. It's it it and and put in the wrong moments that it just really stops the movie from the way that it's it's it should be going. Um, having having said that, you know, it, it still was. I I didn't hate the movie. I, I have to keep telling myself that I didn't hate the movie. Yeah, it's like we're in some kind of Stockholm syndrome with DC. <laughs> like I want to like you, man. And then I have to say, you know. I don't I don't know I don't know exactly how much this movie costs. I know that those reshoots that they talked about was like an extra 100 million, but uh half of the budget for this movie had to have been the soundtrack, right? I mean, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can't throw in Bohemian Rhapsody in there and it'd be cheap. <laughs> well, I mean, not just Bohemian I think uh I think the Rolling Stones is in there and yeah. You know, uh just all kinds of like very popular music that would have to cost you a lot of money to, to put in there. Uh, the budget is estimated at 175 million. Wow. So yeah, uh, I can't imagine the, the budget not or like a, a good chunk of that didn't go to being for the, the soundtrack. 
And, you know, I one of the biggest worries I had going into this movie was that the movie was going to be a lot of a Harley Quinn origin story, which it, it is. It does have the Harley Quinn origin story in there. And, uh, you know, I, I just didn't want it because I wanted it to be a Suicide Squad movie. I don't want it to be a Harley Quinn movie with the Suicide Squad. But uh, I, I guess they it wasn't too bad. There wasn't too much of, of the Harley Quinn origin story that I was upset about it. And it doesn't fart focus. I mean, it focuses a lot on Harley Quinn. Don't get me wrong. And it makes sense. She's probably the one of them out of all the characters in there that she's the, uh, if you don't include, include the Joker and Batman, but of the team, she is the most popular and the most well known. But I, I wanted, I guess I wanted it to be more of a team story. And then maybe with Will Smith's Deadshot as the, the focus. Yeah, it felt like he was definitely the one that they paid the most attention to. I don't know if that's because he was Will Smith. Well, I definitely think it's because he's Will Smith, and I think that's who they they were they when they originally thought up this movie. Deadshot was supposed to be the leader, you know, he's supposed to be the lead role. But then you got Margot Robbie on as Harley Quinn, and you're like, oh well, we can't let that just slip through. <laughs> yeah, and then you have to have the Joker if you're going to have Harley Quinn. So then you have also the side plot of their crazy romance and him trying to rescue her. Which, by the way, a little bit of a plot hole, I think. Um, the scene where they break into, where the Joker and his crew break into like one of Wayne Tech's like, companies or factories or something. And um, it's one of the scenes in the trailer where like they're wearing like these goofy masks that look like one looks like Batman, one looks like a giant eyeball. And um, it looks like they want to steal something. And so they go and like they, they get into this one secure room. They were threatening the scientist with like his wife or something. And they steal like a case of what looks like these little like neck injector things. I kind of assume that those were the things that removed the explosives from your neck. And that's why he was stealing them, because he wanted to rescue Harley and take the explosive thing out. But you never see those again, do you? No, I think what 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 he did is he he kidnaps the, the, the scientist, and the scientist is the one that blocks the, the or jams up the, or disables the, the injected thing later on. Ah, so that's what they do there. Yeah, okay. they, they might have took the case just so that he had the materials he needed, but that, that the whole point was that, because you see him in the helicopter later, he's working on a laptop to disable the, the the bomb in her neck. Oh, that's what it was. Okay, yeah, all right. Never mind. Um, plot hole comment rescinded. <laughs> it's okay because that literally the scene in the helicopter, it's it's so quick. You, I mean, it took me a second to figure out, or like a minute to, to realize that that was the same doctor. Yeah, and like I was reading on something else that the guy that was manning the machine gun at the back of the helicopter is supposed to be like a a popular joker character like um like a guy that plays his chauffeur or something and like well that one's lost on me yeah because i don't remember of a popular joker chauffeur (laughs) yeah it's like some some and it doesn't look anything like that like in the in the movie it just looks like some dude but in the uh in the comic scene that they showed like oh he's supposed to play this character and it's some it's a dude that kind of looks like sandman like he's kind of skinny and pale yeah. And I'm like, okay, well, that guy didn't look anything like this. So how are we supposed to? <laughs> yeah. 
Well, you know, there was a lot of things that I thought were weird, like Common. Common shows up in the movie. He's in there for, what, three minutes as, you know, this guy that is doing a deal with the Joker because the Joker's kind of a drug kingpin now, or I don't know what he's supposed to be, or a pimp of some type. Uh, and then there's Scott Eastwood. You know, Scott Eastwood, for the longest time, they didn't release who his character's name was. And... Uh, you know, lots of people were speculating online. Who is he supposed to be? Is he supposed to be Deathstroke? Is he supposed to be uh, Nightwing, undercover kind of thing, and stuff like that? And then you get to the movie, and his name is GQ Edwards. Like, what the fuck? Who is that? <laughs> what is that supposed to be? Who cares? Why didn't you just say his name then? Yeah, there was going to be a scene at the end where he's claiming all of uh, Rick Flag stuff. And <laughs> they're like, oh, why don't you use your real name? Oh, okay, it's uh, it's. Dick Grayson or it's, something. It's Nightwing. Your your birth yeah. name was Nightwing. It's like, what? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. You know, the more I think about it in retrospect, I actually didn't like Dark Knight Rises. I'm like, I think I was just lost in the moment thinking, wow, cool, the trilogy, it's coming to an epic finale. And I'm like, wait, wait a minute. How do you get back to Gotham? He had nothing. Like, wait, what, what is that? Is that really the end of Bane? Like, <laughs> like what no and now i'm like nope that yeah it was was coasting at that point it has its problems um i i i I would say that i still liked it overall but yeah it definitely has its problems it didn't live up to dark knight uh it definitely doesn't live up to batman begins which is my favorite out of the three um so it, it it has its problems and uh one more point i wanted to bring up as far as this one could actually be a plot hole is um the uh, the guard the prison guard played by Ike Barinholtz? Yeah, he's uh in like he kind of like messes with most of the people in uh, Belle Reve or whatever it's called. Um, there's that scene where he's in a what is it, like a casino and then he gets picked up by the Joker and is like, hey, I need you to do something for me. Gives her a cell phone to hand over to Harley. And then he does, he gives it to Harley in front of like all of the military people there, like without any attempt at subterfuge, he just hands it to her. <laughs> he says, Hey, this this is from uh this is from your put in or whatever he says. Yeah. And uh, we're cool, right? You're gonna <laughs> tell him that I helped you out, right? And she starts kinda laughing and says, Oh, you're in trouble. <laughs> Yeah. And he's like, wait, what do you mean by that? And that's the end of it. Like, we never see his character again, so we don't know what happens with that. Nope, we sure didn't. And, and you're so, right. The cell phone, she doesn't even hide it. I mean, she has it later when she's on the helicopter. and it, That would be after the point where she is changing in the middle of the, the, the base, you know, the encampment or whatever it was. So where was she holding the phone when she was changing into the other clothes? Oh man! Yeah. yeah, I got theories, but uh... <laughs> <laughs> exactly, yeah. That that whole cell phone thing was was ridiculous, and uh, yeah, I don't know. So, on a similar note, I did want to mention: uh, Did we bring up the Justice League trailer the last time we talked? Um, I don't know. I've talked about it so many times, uh, just in, in life now at this point (laughs) that I I don't know if we talked about it on the show, but what did you want to say about it? Yeah, I think we, what did we talk about that last time? I don't remember if we brought it up or not, but I just didn't want to kind of touch on that one more time and say that, um, I've been hearing a lot of people online saying that 
it looks like they're jumping the shark to going too far in the opposite direction because now it looks like they're forcing their hand at humor a little bit too much, you know, trying to make up for all the bleakness of the other movies. And um, we'll see. The, the problem I have is I that I want to say. Well, I just the problem that yeah. I have is that uh, they're trying to make Bruce Wayne and Tony Stark. And they're like, oh, well, you know, Robert Downey Jr. is doing this job as Tony Stark. And, you know, he walks around and he, he's sarcastic and he tells jokes to people and he, he makes uh, quips all the time as Tony Stark. So you should do that as Bruce Wayne. And it's like, no, Bruce Wayne is not Batman. Batman would never go around. Like, he, you wouldn't see Batman or you wouldn't see Bruce Wayne going around trying to pick up other metahumans and, and be like, hey, uh. I hear you talk to fish, you know, <laughs> or, hey, you're super fast, you know, kind of thing. Uh, and I'm Batman. Just, like, telling them as as Bruce Wayne that he's Batman. And Batman would be the one in full costume going around picking these people up. He would he would show up in Barry Allen's apartment in the Batman outfit and being like, I need you to be on this team. And then, you know, same thing with Aquaman. He's like, look, you, you're you the king of the of Atlantis. I need you to, to, to help save the world kind of thing. Not, hey... I hear you talk to fish. <laughs> 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 With that little headcock, like, interesting or funny, kind of. Yeah. And then the whole uh, exchange with, what's her name, Wonder Woman. And I was like, did he say he would join? And he's like, more or less. Like, I feel like Batman would be way more direct than that. <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. There, There's been some great scenes in the anim- Batman the Animated Series, Batman comic books, where where he does have a little joke, he has a little quip, and why wouldn't he? He has, he has a very bleak look on life, and he ha- so uh, the the few times when he shows his humor or jovialness is, is going to be just that much better, but you haven't done that yet. You haven't built up the dark, bleak Batman for me yet. That And, and, and I know this is terrible coming after see, you know the Batman v Superman movie that was super dark and bleak, but the the tone of his character hasn't been built yet that you can give me the few little jokes that are that that would make the susans of of Batman. <laughs> yeah, he hasn't earned it yet. He hasn't earned it yet. Thank you. Yeah. But and, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I get. I don't. Was there something else about the trailer you wanted to talk about? Uh. No, that was pretty much it. And I was like, well, like the the tone seems like they're trying to course correct it and make up for lost time, but um well, let me t- ask you this. In- oh, go yeah. ahead. Sorry. Uh, I was just going to say I still think that um say what you will about Ezra Miller's portrayal of Barry Allen in this one. I think it's uh the cinematic version of The Flash is probably going to be the coolest one we'll see yet. Because uh, I like the show version to some degree. I don't like Grant Gustin's portrayal of Barry Allen. But when it comes to being the Flash, except for when he makes really dumb decisions, like going and saving his mother. <laughs> um, uh, I generally like a lot of how they stay true to the comics. Now, I've heard some people be really nitpicky with the fact that his lightning looks blue and not yellow in the movie. And I'm like, okay, yeah, that's a minor thing. That doesn't imply that he's going to be Zoom or anything. That's just they're doing that for the the visual language of the movie. It's going to be blue. I can deal with that. The fact, and I've said this before, I don't know why this is like my, my thing that I'm crusading, but I'm saying, yes, a real-life Flash or at least a cinematic Flash should have a power that he's almost afraid to use 
because every time he does, he creates all kinds of electrical disturbances and just, you know, there'd be no way he could run super fast through like a normal office building and not just cause all kinds of papers everywhere to fly and desks to flip over. So I kind of like how it looks more dangerous, more volatile. You know, like he could be a danger to others if he's not careful with his power. And that's how I think it should be. But that's just me. Now you were saying? Uh, I was just going to say that um, one of the few things that you know about Batman from the comic books is supposed to be that he's the world's greatest detective, right? I mean, Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, now, at the, the, the after credit scene or during credit scene of Suicide Squad shows him having dinner with, with, uh, with Waller and he asks for the file and she gives him the file and it's literally the file on Barry Allen and, and, uh, Aquaman or, uh, Arthur Curry. So literally he has to do no detective work at all. (laughs) And then again, why does he need that file? Didn't Lex Luthor already put that file together for him so that he could, and he read it off of the, 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 the USB drive or whatever it was, the hard drive that he, that he, uh, stole. So I don't, I don't get that after credit scene. (laughs) It's well, um, I think they're kind of fudging with the timeline a little bit because, um, like, first of all, isn't it, um, in, in Batman v Superman, he hasn't been Batman in, in a while, right? Like how long has it been? Uh, I don't know. I think they say it's supposed to have been like 10 years since he's been Batman. So if you think about the flashbacks to when he caught Harley Quinn and Deadshot, that has to be pretty recent, right? Like that has to be after he became Batman again. Because if if, I could understand Deadshot being in prison for at least 10 years now, uh, because he's, you know, Will Smith's like in his 50s or something. (laughs) Um but Harley Quinn, I mean, she in real life, she's like 25. So she would have had to have been like 15. Yeah, no, I think those for are that the, to work. I think it's supposed to be real recent cuz they even talk about the death of Superman at the beginning of the movie. So it's supposed to be I think the, the he captures them after uh Superman died. Okay. So my cuz I thought about that and exactly what you're saying. I was like, "Wait, so how does this fit into the timeline? This seems a little screwy." And I kind of thought about it and it feels like so he saw the information that Lex had, but Amanda Waller actually has like full-on dossiers on them, whereas Lex just basically had you know these short little QuickTime videos, and that's pretty much it. Like it was it was enough to get him started, and then he used his connections or whatever his uh, his influence to get the the rest of what he needed from uh, from Waller. Because she actually looked like she, you know, she had pictures, she had names, uh, histories to some degree of how they got their power. She'd done the research, he just basically took it from her. Yeah, so she's actually the world's greatest detective. She's actually the yeah, one that's... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which there was also, I think, a little bit of dialogue there at the end of the movie, uh, or at least at the end of that scene, where I think, I don't know, I don't know if the, if I'm reading into this wrong or not, but I think it's supposed to imply that we can expect down the line somewhere that might be there's a Justice League versus Suicide Squad movie. Yeah, I could see that. I mean, the this movie's making money. I don't know if it's going to break even yet, but it's getting close. And um, it's going to hurt it that they're not going to allow them to play it in China. China has like these really weird rules against uh, witchcraft and uh, 
like supernatural stuff in movies. So if it's a, it skews a little too far in that direction, which this one kind of does. I mean, you have the Enchantress, who is a kind of a witch character. Which, by the way, the first transformation scene that she does in the White House, or wherever she is, the Pentagon. Yeah, it was the Pentagon. When she turns into Enchantress, was that not kind of cool looking? Oh, it was very cool looking. No, don't get me wrong. The the special effects in this movie were amazing. The, I mean, just about everything uh, visually was was stunning to me. There were uh, lots of great things to see, especially when Diablo full on, you know, fucking Mayan god hulks out <laughs> and and turns into that uh, giant fire monster when he's fighting Incubus. I think his name is supposed to be. Uh, it, yeah, it was. It was pretty awesome, but special effects don't make a movie. <laughs> no, definitely not. And I am a little disappointed. I know we theorized a long time ago with one of the trailers that uh, they could have been hinting at the Green Lantern, or not the Green Lantern Corps, but the uh, the ring spectrum, because the the lights coming out of that twister were like the colors of the rainbow, and we were saying, oh, maybe there's a, a white lantern that they're tapping into, and it's releasing the colors of all the other ones, or something like that. Nope, it was just a... a Deus Ex Machina thing. Yeah, yeah. No, I really wanted there, to, and I I had been toting around this theory for a very long time that Will Smith was actually going to turn out to be John Stewart undercover as Deadshot in the movie, but you know that didn't turn out to happen. So, uh, you know, I wasn't disappointed by it because I think he did a great job as Deadshot. But I think that you know it, it, it's interesting that they still haven't announced any of the stars that they're going to have in this Green Lantern Corps movie. Yeah. Now, in the Green Lantern Corps movie, are they supposed to have, um, like, literally all the different human Green Lanterns in it? Or is it just going to be, like, Jon Stewart, as the last rumor I heard, going to be the main one? Uh, what I've, I think what uh, the rumor that I've heard is that there's going to be there are three human ones, uh, Hal Jordan, Guy Gardner, and, and Jon Stewart. Of course, excluding the, the, the Green Lantern that I like the most, Kyle Rayner, but he is also the fourth one, so... You know, a lot of people don't know him too well. See, I could see Channing Tatum as Guy Gardner more than I can as as Gambit for some reason. <laughs> kind of tying it back around. Uh, you know, I don't have enough. Uh, I don't see him getting angry enough. Uh, one of the things about Guy Gardner is he just has rage problems. So, like, uh, you know, I just I I don't, I've never been able to picture him. However, did you go see Independence Day Resurgence? I have not. No. Okay. Well, you know who Liam Hensworth is, right? Oh yeah, yeah. Um, I think Thor's he, younger brother. If yeah, Thor's younger brother. If you watch uh, Independence Day Resurgence, he plays a uh, a pilot in that movie, and I think he would make a perfect Hal Jordan, uh, especially just from that movie. So it would be oh, interesting I could, I could if, see that. if they hired him or cast him to be Hal Jordan. If we would have a Hemsworth in both cinematic universes. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's already a pilot, so that's there and. You have the whole alien thing. There yeah, you I go. smell shared universe. <laughs> All right. So I think uh, we talked about the movie enough. We didn't really dive into it uh, too uh, too much, but uh, there are definitely, uh, I would say, there's definitely problems with the movie. But and I, like I thought, there was very a lot of a lot of instances where the the movie just kind of becomes boring. Uh, so I don't know if there's a pacing problem or not, but, um, yeah, I, I said, I, it's, I don't hate it. That's my rating. <laughs> yep. 
and I would agree. I would say um, I think I enjoyed it probably a little more than you did. Uh, maybe it helps that I'm not super versed in the DC stuff because sometimes it seems like they don't make these for the fans. <laughs> they make them for like whoever. Yeah, they make them for movie fans. They don't make them for the comic yeah, for, fans. For the general audience. And I mean, as a movie, I enjoyed it. Um, as an accurate portrayal of the Suicide Squad, that's kind of up in the air because I have nothing really to compare it to unless they make a Suicide Squad animated movie. Uh, well, they did. They, this, made, I... they made Assault on Arkham. Batman Assault on, Ar- on Arkham. Oh, that was a Suicide Squad movie? That was a Suicide Squad movie. And actually, oh, not that bad. I'll have to check that out then. Um, yeah, I agree. It has problems. It has uh, pacing issues. The editing is a little wonky. And it has a... I, I, I think its biggest problem is it kind of has a lack of focus. Um, you know, it's it's kind of a little bit all over the place and doesn't really congeal well. Uh, but it wasn't as bad as Batman v Superman. And that's... that. It, by default, that makes it good. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> all, all right, John. Where can uh, people reach us? Uh, I am at Magic Bollocks on the Twitters and uh, John Camarena on the Facebooks. And you can also see me posting periodically on Geek Elite Radio on Facebook. And I believe you are at Agent underscore of the underscore that underscore underscore <laughs> okay minus the two last underscores but yes that's <laughs> you can find me on the on twitter and then uh yeah definitely come check out our, our website geeklyradio.com uh we have archived episodes of this podcast and all the other podcasts that we have on the geekly radio network but until next week this has been geekly or this has been the geeks watch on the geekly radio network saying always remember to geek out, geek out. We now return you to your regularly scheduled program.